So welcome to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored by Alltag. And thanks, as always, to our supporting partners, 3X Logic, Mighty and Aura. Now, my guest this week is Sarah Staff. Now, Sarah is head of Safer Gems. Prior to that, though, Sarah served 30 years in the Metropolitan Police uh, in London in the UK, 18 of those tackling serious and organised crime. Joining the Flying Squad, Sarah worked on complex operations. As, excuse me. I'm going to start that again. I'm not saying I'm going to get all words right all the way through, but let's try and at least get the first paragraph. <clears throat> so take two. So welcome to this week's edition of the Retailers Podcast, sponsored by Alltag. And thanks, as always, to our supporting partners, 3X Logic, Mighty and Aura. Now, my guest this week is Sarah Staff. Sarah is the head of Safer Gems. Sarah served 30 years with the Metropolitan Police in London in the UK, spending 18 of those tackling serious and organised crime. Joining the Flying Squad, Sarah worked on complex operations as a surveillance firearms officer and investigator. As a detective inspector, uh, became tactical firearms commander and post-incident manager dealing with police shootings. Now, on becoming a detective chief inspector, Sarah ran covert proactive units investigating importation of supply of firearms and controlled drugs in the UK, as well as the organised vehicle crime unit tackling organised vehicle crime in London. Sarah completed the final two years of her police service as only the second uh, to be DCI in the 100 years flying squad that has been operating. Now, I mention all of this because it's a super impressive background. And then on retiring in 2018, Sarah joined the British Security Industry Association. More on that in a moment. Appointed as director and head of Safer Cash, a UK intelligence sharing security initiative. Fast forward to 2022, and Sarah was also appointed the head of Safer Gems, which is a UK intelligence initiative on tackling crime in retail jewellery, pawnbroker, arts and the antiques industry. Now, that organisation sponsored by the National Association of Jewellers and TH Mark Insurance Brokers. Safer Gem collects details of attacks, incidents, intelligence in relation to jewellery crime around the UK. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much, Paul, and, and thank you for the opportunity to, to speak to you. I, was, I so enjoyed the Retail Risk event when I first met you. So today's a lovely opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming up. And and I, um, I, I often when I introduce guests, sort of slim down their uh, CVs and history, if you like. But um, your background um, was sort of so wide and broad and really explains why you do what you do now that I try and even then I was sort of galloping through it because there's a whole host of other things that that could go into there but I guess the first question has to be that background your career to date did you always want to be in the police as a as, as a youngster growing up um, and then fast forward to how you ended up at the British security industry having retired from the Met Police. Yes, yes. So, so absolutely. From the age of about six, I knew I wanted to be a police officer. Um, Dad had been in the Metropolitan Police in London for 35 years, so I aspired to follow him. Uh, Dad was a detective, but he dealt with murder investigations and fraud. I wanted to specialise in the flying squad. And I think uh, as a young officer, 
and, and those listening today may remember the Sweeney back in the 70s, that television drama, um, which is portrayed about the flying squad. Uh, Dad was not so keen for his little girl to do that, but uh, it is a very male dominated environment, but I absolutely loved it. I did that for sort of 12 years of my 30 year service and was able to specialize in lots of different areas, you know, surveillance, carrying a gun, investigating crime so really broad spectrum and yes loved every minute of it uh, but hard then to leave policing and it and it was only through my final couple of years where we worked very closely with safer cash as you described and my predecessor was about to retire so he was a retired police officer he was retiring for the second time and um, the opportunity to apply for the job came up and the synergy for me is perfect. I only do a part-time role, so three days a week, but it's very similar to policing, but I'm not actually out on the streets. I'm not, you know, I'm, but I'm supporting the police with my staff and I, and I, so, so it works really well and, uh, and it's a nice transition from 30 years to, to what I do now. So. Yeah, although, you know, maybe not quite as uh, exciting if that's no, the right No, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So before we get into some uh, details about your sort of day-to-day, just give us an overview of Safer Cash, Safer Gems, if you would, as an yes. organisation, what they do, where they sit. Okay. So it's hosted by the British Security Industry Association. So that's a trade body for the security industry. And its members are those that provide guarding services, products, consultancy. And within that, there is a section called the transport section, and it represents the cash in transit industry. So those moving cash around the country. So back in 2009, cash in transit crime went through the roof, over a thousand crimes a year in London, 500. And it got to such an extent that they said we either stop delivering cash, calling the army to help us, or we do something through the trade association and the police. So what are we going to do with that? So they launched Safer Cash. And effectively, we're a team of nine personnel, three retired officers, including myself, and then six seconded police staff. And they remain within their either their region or their force. And they are either analysts, field intelligence officers, we've got a higher analyst. And our role day to day is to represent our partners as they suffer, sadly, the crime. They will notify us of that. And then the police analysts will look at that crime within force, see how the investigation is going, what it's linked to, who might be responsible. And over the time from sort of 2009, it's involved to include other members now. So we represent many of the UK finance banks. So um, many of those in the high street and also independent ATM providers, in particular NCR or Cartronics, as people know them, or Note Machine. And we're looking at all physical crime that affects them. So your traditional armed robberies, your uh, burglaries, where you're probably seeing ATMs being blown up or dragged out uh, and, and incidents and attacks at, at banks and building societies. And our role is to work really closely with the police. So we have a dedicated spot in all 43 forces and we'll get together and do quarterly meetings and and share reports and information. So that, that's how it works for Safer Cash. Safer Gems is slightly different, um, and I've only been doing that since the beginning of the year. It, it's a similar police initiative. So we represent just over 6,000 retail jewellers, pawnbrokers, arts and antiques members. 
And as you, you've said, it, it's sponsored um, through the National Association of Jewellers and TH Marsh. And again, the role, although I only have one member of staff with that, who's an ex-police um, analyst, and we basically record and report all the crime that they suffer. We put out crime prevention advice. We'll also work again with the police. So when there's a particular crime, you'll often find that person or offender will travel around the country. So we'll work with the police to try and tackle that. So that that's on a sort of day-to-day -day basis. It's about detection of crime, but also the prevention. So getting out the right guidance and advice to our members. And, and interesting. So I, I'm fascinated, you know, you sort of said as you came to retire, you know, you joined the Trade Association, British Security Industry Association. Did they, did you know that that person was retiring and you sort of, you applied for the role? Did they approach you and say, do you know what, Sarah, you know, we need somebody that should have been on, on TV in the 70s and 80s. Uh, <laughs> how, how did you make that? Well, so um, each quarter, uh, Safer Cash hosts a London regional meeting and the Metropolitan Flying Squad always hosted that in Putney. And I was chairing that meeting and my predecessor then privately spoke to my superintendent and said, can you think of anybody that would like to do my role? And it's just fortuitous, I suppose. My superintendent, Mick Forteeth, was able to say, well, Sarah's looking to retire. So this was in the summer of 17. And I started in the sort of March of 18. And, and I said, wow. It was, and I had to be interviewed with others. So there was quite a lot of interest around the country. But because I'm London and because the Flying Squad terms of reference are all about the crime I now look at, I probably say privately, I was probably a good candidate for it because I'd, you know, been doing the Flying Squad for sort of, 12 years so I, I was probably a pretty good candidate for it so yes that's how it happened there you go so I mean I guess you know fortuitous for them as well that somebody with your experience was looking to retire as the as the opportunity yeah. arose so uh, hopefully you know, hopefully yes <laughs> so yeah I know you sort of alluded to some of the you know the advice that goes out but on a typical day so what takes up the bulk of your time so Sarah sits down in the morning you open yeah. your laptop up Yes. But the hands you the cup of tea or, or whatever Absolutely. it is. <laughs> what, what then typically fills your right. day? Okay. So the, the key priority for the day is the crime that's being committed normally overnight. So as an example, recently we've had a, a, an ATM attack where they've used heavy plants to drag out that ATM from a building. Or we've had a, a, a cash in transit robbery during a, a ATM replenishment. So it's all the crime that comes in. Now, sometimes my police staff will notify me of that first, or sometimes our partners will. And then as a team, we will share. So there's a real flow of emails going. And, and in the morning, the team will report and say, I've looked at these regions across the country. These are the crimes under our terms of reference that have been committed. We'll then reach out to the partners and say, were you aware of this? And they'll go, goodness, no, no, we weren't. This is the crime number. This is the case officer. This is the progress of the case. Somebody's been arrested. They're in custody at the moment or even better news, they've been charged and they're going to court. And this is so it's all around that flow of information. And then for my role, I'll then look probably more strategically and say, right, what can we do to. So if we've got a series of crimes that are happening in different force areas, I'll try and bring those forces together with a senior manager and, and we'll have a, a meeting to discuss it. And then I'm really looking for somebody to take that on, either proactively or reactively, to try and get the individuals. Because sometimes a, a case on its own, there won't be enough evidence. So they need to go out proactively and try and either catch them or gather the evidence. And that's that's my role to sort of try and bring um, forces together and bridge the gap. Because 
as people will appreciate, policing, UK policing is stretched beyond belief. And, and I sympathise with officers now that have a caseload of sometimes 40 or 50 crimes. And we will bridge that gap for them. So my analyst will do a problem profile, send it to them and say, have you considered this? We can help you with that. Um, and, and it just helps because that there is so much for them to do. And, and if, if we can just help a little bit and ease that burden, then that's that's that sort of day to day um, challenge that we try and do. Yeah, I guess that is almost a sort of traditional policing role, isn't it? Bringing mm. together those bits of crime and information. You know, people talk about putting a bow on it and handing it back to the police so they can then go and make Absolutely. an arrest and Absolutely. go for prosecution. And I suppose in this area of crime, it's not as high volume as other areas of crime. So many of your retailers will be suffering from um, abusive shoplifting, from burglaries, other crime that, that is a very high volume. Fortunately, within our sector over the years, the crime has deplenished, which is to do with physical security measures, great action by the police and, and, and other factors. So that sometimes it's maybe not the biggest priority for the police. So it's our role to just sort of bring that together, as you say, and say to them, right, this is a real problem. It's all over this particular region. And they go, we weren't aware of that, but we'll help you. And sometimes they say we can't do it because we're looking at other areas of crime. But on a good percentage of the time that they will um they will really support and they've had some recent some fantastic results where people are getting one particular group five of them a series of atm attacks have got 50 years in prison so that sends out a very strong message to those others that are thinking i might have a go at this not to do that and, and of course as we're moving towards very sadly a you know a recession and stretch on the uk economy the access to cash for those criminals may be more attractive than maybe it was during the pandemic or before. So we have to be very alive to the fact of trying to prevent these crimes and raise awareness to our members, the public, and then also to the police to help. So it's that, yeah, it's that constant flow of information. Yeah, I think uh, most of us, I live in a rural part of the uh, of the UK now, and I think, you know, uh, village shops in you know farm machinery and, and heavy plant used to remove atms is sadly you know it, it, it's not, not unfrequent to see it sort of reported or hear about it so yes yeah, yeah. somebody pulling that together yes know. yes and, and in fact you, you mentioned which is really valid that that people that live in the rural community rely upon their post office or their corner shop that has an ATM to give them access to cash. If that is blown up or dragged out, the shop is closed. It affects the people that are working in the shop, the local community. So it has a real knock-on effect. So trying to prevent that crime is, is yeah, our, our key goal, definitely. Yeah, it's not just a theft, is it? It's structural damage to, to the village hall, which doubles up as the post office and the meeting point. It's quite, you know, it impacts the wider community. Now, yeah, yeah I get the sort of the reactive bits that you're doing, the crime that comes in overnight. I'm interested you know, are there any sort of specific challenges and projects that you're focusing on the safer cash or safer gems from a, a people or process perspective? Do you look and go, OK, we can see this coming down the line or here's a project we should yes, focus on? Yes, absolutely. So one we're working on at the moment, and it's more to do with um, when people are uh, uh, undertaking a transaction at an ATM. So what we're finding in and it, and it sadly it more targets the elderly or um, visitors to the UK. When you're at an ATM, they try and distract you, or they'll put in a piece of equipment that will keep your card. 
they'll then realize and, and you'll try and put the pin number in and then the card won't come out. You'll walk away from the ATM and maybe go into the bank or whatever. They'll retrieve the card and of course they've got the pin number. So it, it, it makes it easy then for them to remove uh, cash from your account. So what we're doing at the moment, so we're working with Crime Stoppers to do a, a national awareness campaign to the public, really looking firstly to raise awareness, but also to looking for information about that type of crime. And then secondly, a little animation, so a little cartoon that will be put out on social media, just raising awareness to say if you're at an ATM, always look behind you. If you're removing a large amount of cash, don't do it on your own. Don't be distracted. Never give your PIN number. All those you know, but, but they're just very good reminders, especially for certain groups of people that maybe don't use the ATMs as frequently as others or maybe are less crime aware than than maybe young people. And, and you know, if you've had a drink again, worst time to ever go when you when you maybe had one too many glasses of wine and you're at the ATM again, you can be seen as a vulnerable target. So that that's what we're working on. And hopefully that will be ready early next year to go out. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of those really valuable but fairly obvious things when you think about it but you've only got to watch people at atms and maybe as as people we get lax or we don't help ourselves you see people turn around with you know wads of cash or walking away looking down you know putting money away while getting phones out you know sometimes being reminded to just be a little bit smarter has to be a good thing absolutely and then from a safer gems perspective Sadly, because so many shops are closing within the high street, you will find that often a premises will have two vacant um, offices, buildings, whatever shops next to them. And what we are seeing is through the wall burglaries. So those gangs will break into a vacant premises and then spend the night drilling through or removing the bricks or whatever to get into the venue to commit the burglary. So we're going to be working with Secure by Design. So that's basically an approved association for, for accredited um, you know, prevention measures and solutions and things. So we're going to work with them to produce a standard that jewellers can follow to make sure. And something I learned very recently was like an emotion detector that you can put onto your wall so that if somebody's trying to drill a hole in it, it will send it through to your central station alarm. So it's, it's just giving that advice. And, and we have to adapt, sadly, as the high street really changes and we are seeing so much of that. You've got to adapt because for jewellers, you do need that personal customer base. You need people going in and so you, you can do things online, but people like to touch and feel jewellery. So to be able to go in and and then they become more vulnerable because there aren't so many shops in the high street itself. So, yes, that's another another project we're working on at the moment. Yeah, that, that sort of vacant, uh, you know, most retailers that... Uh, uh, yeah, anecdotally, we talk to at retail risk. It comes up, somebody will say, "Oh, we have this problem," and then everybody will chip in with a, "Oh, we've had this." We right through to warehouses as well, where even though the you know, e-commerce meant that a lot of warehouse spaces under pressure, talking to a, a top ten UK retailer that had lost millions because they were one of the first on a new development, um, and although it was completely let. The adjacent unit, this was a, a joined unit, a lot of them are standalone, um, wasn't occupied. And so the burglary occurred through the wall of an adjacent warehouse. Um, and uh, you can imagine the vast amount of stock that, 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 that they got away from there. So, yeah, again, just those tweaks, isn't it, to the process, the protocols and, you know, yes. what needs to be done is, uh, yes. is, is a great piece of work. And I love to hear the fact that, Paul, that people are sharing the information because we often find 
with our members, probably the same as yours is, not all of them are suffering the crime, but it's that sort of, dare I say, holistic approach of you share what's happened to you. Others can learn, others can give advice, solutions that they're using. Body-worn cameras is a really big thing at the moment that many banks and, and jewellers are using. It's just a great measure to reduce that threat because you're finding that customers are becoming very agitated and difficult. And so again, others have sort of shared that information and gone, that's a really good idea. Let, let, let me take that away and I'll, I'll trial it within my business. So I'm, I'm a great fan. Let's share the information. Let's talk about it. And we can all try, you know, because dare I say tomorrow, I might be a victim of crime and I wouldn't want that to happen. So no, yes. sure. Sure. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about is, you know, 30 years as a police officer, you know, you've learned an awful lot, seen an awful lot, and how you can adapt what you've learned into your role, I guess, in private industry, top tips, things to avoid. But before you kind of share some of your expertise, we're just going to take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. For every type of business, the power of a data-driven security video management system designed to give you total control anywhere, anytime. 3X Logic. Right, so welcome back to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast. I'm, of course, still talking to Sarah Staff. Now, Sarah, just before the break there, I alluded to the fact that, you know, 30 years, hard to believe, experience within uh, the uh, the police, uh, an awful lot that you've learned in that time. How are you adapting that information for the private industry? You know, I assume you can't go in and just uh, give out an order as you might have done in, uh, in, the, in the policing. So what are your top tips things to avoid you know how do you get that information across yeah no thank you and that's a really good question and it was I dare I say quite daunting after 30 years I because before I joined the Metropolitan Police I was police staff in Hertfordshire so I've only ever known the discipline world of the police service so that that's, it was a really but for me within the role that I do because my staff whether they're police or retired they're all over the country for me, communication is key. It's about being a very visible boss and listening and understanding and supporting your staff and also saying thank you. And I noticed very much in the police, they never really used to say thank you. Everything is very busy. It's very much a you will do this, you will do that. But to get the engagement and support of your staff, and especially when I'm not, I'm not sitting in an office with them. And I think that's something that we can translate very much since the pandemic, that most people are now working either part or full time from home. And it's about ensuring that you have that contact with staff and understand and read the signs. And I, I think I'm quite a good, I suppose being a detective, probably got the skills of reading those signs when people aren't happy or you're asking them to do something that either doesn't sit comfortably with them or that they want to. So for me, communication is key. It's understanding, but also being visible. If And I was always, because I worked in every rank on the flying squad, I was prepared to do it. So when I became like a boss, they knew that I'd done it myself and I'd still be prepared. I wasn't, you know, shy enough to say I'm not prepared to do what you're doing now. So, again, it's leading by example. It, the role is very much a personal role more than a, a sort of a, a, a labour intensive sort of report writing of things. That's what the staff do. I'm sort of the visible head. And, and those those are good for me. It, it seems to work quite well. Yeah, I guess if people know that you've stopped at every rung on the ladder, there's uh, there's a there's the respect that comes with that, isn't it? Because yeah, it. at some point, Sarah will have done this, that, and the other. So yeah, yeah. And I do think, dare I say, because it was very male dominated, because of the type of physical role it is, very few women do that. You, I privately probably had to say I had to work that little bit harder 
I never had any problems, but I just felt that being female in that role, I had to work just that little bit harder. And so, to, but the respect came because I had done exactly what they were doing. And that sort of, that works really well. And that, that's sort of my ethos um, for the person to be good in the role. It doesn't matter what their background or skills, as long as they work hard and show an aptitude and, and commitment to it, then I'm a hundred percent behind them. Yeah. I think, uh, you, you know, clearly, you know, the work that you've done, I mean, the, the stakeholders that you have to navigate through, yeah, I'm sure understanding the police world so you can bring that side, you've got the retailers, you've got the staff, yeah, the amount of people that you have to influence to uh, to get things done, then I can only assume you've probably still got handcuffs and a taser uh, in, uh, in, in, in the rucksack when you go to a meeting as well to get things done. So whatever it takes, right? My secret's out the bag. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, uh, um, just out of interest, a, a lot of people I talk to within the you know risk security world, they've always got sort of a favourite go-to piece of technology or process. If you talk to a lot of people, it'll be you know data mining to get this or a CCTV. You know, what's your go-to piece of magic? Is it is it the bag with the taser in it? Yeah. What, what is it? What, what what's the one I, thing I, you wouldn't do I without? Wish it was, I wish it was. So for me, and I am completely terrible with IT because I grew up in a day where it was a manual typewriter and we wrote everything on paper. So for me, what's been revolutionary is the what we're doing now. You know, you're you're at your place of work I'm at mine and we're able to speak and it feels like we're in the room together so it's the the, the teams the zooms the the um, online meetings so for me before the pandemic I was traveling around the country hosting police industry regional meetings and it was a huge stretch for the police to be able to come to that meeting for a couple of hours because they'd be traveling all over the country now I get far more people joining far more engaging because that they can just dial into it and then go back to their day job. So for me, and and once a week, I'll dial in with my team, we'll have a conversation. It feels like I'm sitting in a room with them. So that's that for me has been a real game changer. And I, I use it a lot. I have to be careful not to use it too much. And yeah. you have to be careful that people don't switch off because sometimes if they're not on screen, I can probably hear them typing in the background. So again, it's about keeping that engagement and interest and uh and, and it, it's you definitely got to work on that but I, I do find it a very valuable tool to yeah to be effective in the role but but it's a tool that you have to be able to use because I think there's nothing worse than somebody that uh, makes a bad job of using you know this 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 zoom teams connection because my goodness me you can really shut down an audience and uh, and, and drive somebody to despair can't you if you if you Absolutely. don't Absolutely, in. absolutely. And what I'm finding is quite interesting. So I was in Merseyside uh, and I've been up to Greater Manchester and we've done a hybrid call and that has been a real challenge. So you've got people in the room that actually we're carrying on with our meeting and those online feel disconnected. The quality of the, the audio is not great. So again, that I, I'm, I'm struggling. So that's something I'm having to work on for the moment. What IT equipment do I need to bring? We've got a, like, go, a go bag with the equipment in it that I can take to certain sites, but I need to work on that because those online, I always go back and get a bit of feedback. I'll always try and phone a member and say, how did that meeting go? And they'll say, wasn't great, couldn't really hear, felt a bit disconnected. And so that's of no value to them. That's an hour of their day that really wasn't of value. So, so I'm conscious that we, so we try at least a couple of times a year to have a face-to-face, -face, but then you want everybody to come to that and some people can't. So, yeah. 
I, I think that's the challenge of the technology industry because mm-hmm. I agree with you. That's the bit of the puzzle that's not there yet. So I don't know what the end. Maybe, maybe we need the virtual people sat as holograms around the uh, around the table. Who that knows? would be good, like the ABBA show at the moment. That would be great. Yes, I, I went to see that recently, and my goodness me, people were whooping and cheering as if yes. ABBA were in the room. Yes, uh, it, it really sounds was, fantastic. Uh, was, 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 yeah. so if anybody's in London, go and check out the ABBA voyages, uh, uh, and no doubt coming to a city around the world sometime soon because I think it's been phenomenally successful so anyway um so crystal ball time safer cash safer gems you know what's the future look like extra collaborations partnerships what's 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 the goal yeah so from safer cash perspective we only represent or we represent about 89 percent of the industry I'd like to represent far more of the industry so that's always a challenge but if you as a company or a bank or aren't suffering the crime, you have to say to yourself, what is the value of being a member? And my view is always come and join, have the information shared. But obviously there is a contribution fee. And sometimes at these challenging times, you have to outweigh the, the cost of a membership fee to, to that, the benefits you get from it. So that's a constant ongoing piece of work for me to show the, the benefits. From a Safer Gems perspective, we really are just refreshing where we've been. Because of the pandemic, most jewellers were closed for over two years. So at the moment, we're working on updating our crime prevention advice, getting leaflets out, hopefully going to hold a conference next year or maybe join a police conference and have some speakers along. So it's, again, raising the profile. And always, Paul, it's been about joining the gap for the police and helping them. And, and I see every single day and my husband's still a police officer so I sort of get regular updates of the challenges he faces and I I sympathize so much and I'll speak to officers and their caseload is huge so if, if we can just help them a little bit so that that's that's a main goal for me in, in 2023 definitely. I think there's some some huge goals there I don't know about uh, you know so uh, you know I love that yeah 89 percent so far you know but you know what yeah go for the hundred percent you've got to <laughs> got to go that far haven't you so but I mean that's an amazing percentage of of the industry already um you're right you know safer gems you know it seems to be going from strength to strength um I have to say I think a large part of that is you and your enthusiasm and your bouncing around in oh, person so uh you know and, you. And, and memorable in all the right ways so um, um it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today Sarah I wish you every success please do keep us posted on your progress and march to global domination i'm sure it is uh, is on the horizon <laughs> thank uh, you but for now thank you so much indeed for for giving us an update on what's going on and uh, and look forward to seeing you again in person hopefully in the near future lovely paul thank you i've really enjoyed it the time has flown by you asked some great questions and made me feel very relaxed so thank you very much really nice to meet you and speak to you no at all thanks sarah take care thank you. bye-bye